You're listening to the B Fox and B Frank show. It is here, week one, college football. Uh, technically, there were games last weekend, but we're going to refer to that as week zero. This is when basically Real everybody's playing. Yeah, Real and I'm very stuff. excited. We don't have to watch Rice barely beat Prairie View and uh, Colorado State look inept for three quarters. We find oh, not only that, New Mexico State look inept for 58 minutes. As thrilling as those moments were, um, this weekend and the weekends following should have more. Um, we'll get we'll get into that in just a little bit. Um, but in terms of some news since last we spoke during our conference preview, especially in the Big Ten, we talked a lot about what was going on at Ohio State. Um, since that time, they have made a decision, the suspending Urban Meyer for three games, which includes the uh, TCU game. This is their third game, Brian Day, uh, co-offensive coordinator with Kevin Wilson, will be taking over interim head coaching duties. What are your thoughts on this um, decision? I mean, number one, I'm a little upset that Greg Schiano didn't get the reins because that would have been just even better, like even better of bad decisions from Ohio State. It It is a clear sign of the direction and the shape of college athletics today. Ohio State has painted the picture for the rest of the country that as long as you win football games or basketball games, whatever it may be, obviously Rick Pitino couldn't stay alive during his case, but if you win games and bring in money like that, you're essentially untouchable. Three games, you're playing. They've got Oregon State, Rutgers, and TCU, correct, to open the year? Yeah, technically three Power Five opponents, but really the only right. game in that is TCU. Right. It's and And a big distinction here is Meyer can still coach up practice. It's not like it's three weeks away from the team. It's legitimately three games. He just can't coach the team for those games. It, I mean, frankly, it's pathetic if you think about it. You read through the report. You read the highlights. It says that, yeah, Urban Meyer knew about this, but he didn't know about it. But he did, and he just didn't go to the right authorities because he didn't know if he should because of what he knew. It. It is Ohio State backtracking over backtracking over contradiction. And out of all this, Gene Smith gets the worst of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gene Smith is is not an innocent bystander here. Absolutely not. I mean, the whole urban thing, like the, the three game suspension announcement came out and that was, you know, not looked on as a very severe punishment. And then all of the ensuing information in the report that came out afterwards just made him look so much worse and made this decision look really bad. And honestly, just going with the ultimate excuse of sometimes he has lapses in memory is such a, like, honestly, I felt like I was reading a release from like Trump's PR team. Like that seems like something yeah. like right up their alley that they would, they would whip out as like something like just believable enough to certain parts of the population. In this case, the rabid Ohio State fan base. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's that's how that came off to me. And now it's just even more than it was before. Just any 
any mentioned or comment section or thread like on Twitter under any news story about this is just of people with like Ohio State um, avatars just mm-hmm. going to town against the haters. And it's just like sudden. I mean, college football fandom is like they're, they're freaking cults. It's, it's going to take, I, I don't know, I don't know what it would take, honestly, for something to happen, something to come out, and a fan base to immediately turn on a highly successful coach. It, coach. It's, like, there's so much entrenched loyalty there. It's terrifying, to be honest with you, because we've now had Penn State and Ohio State, and to, I guess, a lesser degree in terms of the football program, Michigan State, but three massively big programs with three massively big scandals and Joe Paterno essentially retired and died. Sandusky went to prison as he should have. And then urban Meyer gets three games. And that's all we see of this. It's crazy. And and back to your original point of when all the info came out, it just looked worse and worse. Then not only that you, but you have the sound clips from the, the sound and video clips from the press conference where urban is just, blankly reading off a piece of paper as if he doesn't give a shit and it's just a waste of his time right now. Then he goes to the press conference and asks every freaking reporter to repeat their question because, oh, he has lapses in memory or he can't remember things and he's got to play up to that now. It's ridiculous. It's frankly pathetic. And I mean, it's it should be it should have been a bad day for Ohio State. And for whatever reason, like you said, college football fanatics seem to take this as a win because, you know, they've got their head coach. Yeah, and again, from like a PR standpoint, everything went pretty much as awfully as you could possibly imagine. Like you said, there was no sincerity or anything or inflection or it's like any, how many times have we that he meant it? And then given yeah. the opportunity to apologize to Courtney Smith, all he could muster up was "I'm sorry, we're in this situation," um, and just one thing after another. The line of the report talking about. Um, just conveniently defeating or deleting text mm-hmm. more than a year old. Yeah. Um, big red flag there. But ultimately, I mean, this is kind of the the state of college sports. And I thought um, Mark Titus's article before this decision came out was really accurate. And then after the fact, even more so, basically this is an opportunity for Ohio State to really show us where they, their priorities lie. Like, yep. what is the line that coaches have to cross in order to get fired? We found out that, you know, punching an opposing player, that's bad. That'll that'll get you fired even if you're doing well. Um, a lot of success in basketball followed by ultimately a disappointing season. That's apparently enough for that model to get run off. But when you're winning at the clip that Urban Meyer is, um, especially after what can be said, there's some some leaner years um, by Buckeye like standards, then it becomes very very hard to get rid of that coach um, because honestly, like the scary thing is the backlash from the fans uh, getting rid of a guy like that would be possibly even worse than, you know, all of the the people in this situation, the the righteous anger that's that's being directed at Ohio State. That was probably a concern they had as well. Mm-hmm. And 
looking at it, it's like, I honestly, it's it's sad, but it's laughable at this point because, like you said, what is, what is it going to take? What what line do people have to cross in order to to lose their job for, frankly, just terrible, heinous wrongdoing? And Ohio State had a chance to be at the forefront showing that college athletics really isn't all about money and, you know, they care about people and whatnot. And I mean, this more than ever makes it seem like, well, as long as you're cashing a check, who gives a shit what happens? Yeah. That's uh, where we're at. Yeah. NCAA is still a, still a very fucked up place, unfortunately. Um, but on a lighter note, we've got some games this weekend. We do. Um, the, the big one which, I mean, think of where you would have been if we had said this like three or four years ago, how weird of a look you would have given us. But Washington-Auburn might be the crown jewel of the weekend. There are several great games, um, but this is one we can start with. We both really like Washington, Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin, the seventh years. Is that going to be enough? going up against an SEC team against the style that they really don't go up against very frequently. Yeah, so I think there are a couple key points in this game. Gaskin and Browning are back for the umpteenth year, which we mentioned last week. The thing is, without a dynamic playmaker on the outside, that offense really doesn't look like anything special or like it should, like it did two years ago when Browning threw for 41 touchdowns. They had John Ross. Last year, they had nobody of note, and the numbers decreased significantly. I think he threw 20 touchdowns. I'm not 100% sure. Um, but without a playmaker on the outside to open things up, it, I mean, it's it's like we say in basketball. If you can't spread the floor or at least pound the ball inside, you're going to be super one-dimensional, and that's what it seems like Browning and this offense are. He is a very accurate passer. You know, He's like a Tier 1, Tier 2 passer. He can't really throw the deep ball unless he's got a receiver that can go get it. Gaskin is a workhorse at running back, but that's about it. I mean, this defense is going to be good, but can they beat up on a very physical, very strong, very large Auburn defense? And, you know, on the flip side for Auburn, they've got some big question marks at running back. They lose Petway and carry on Johnson. They have had thousand yard rushers every year since 2009. So that is the first year Gus Malzahn was on staff. Since he's gotten there, he just churns out – they figure out ways to churn out running backs. So they, while they have question marks, I'm sure he will figure it out. They might go committee for the first couple games, but I'm sure he'll, he'll whittle it down as they move on. But I, I find a hard – I find it hard to, to see Auburn losing this game. I do like Washington. I do like Washington to win the Pac-12. But I think there's too many – too many question marks, too much unseen from this team to really believe that they can go out on a neutral field, beat an, uh, an Auburn defense, and then slow down Jarrett Stidham. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's a great reminder at the end of the day that this is week one. This is the first game of the season. Mm-hmm. We'll know a lot more about these teams talking this time next week than we do right now. There are several things that we can perceive as known commodities, certainly the quarterback position on both teams. And I think that's why Auburn is going to lean into more of a pass-heavy attack than they otherwise would, even if they were kind of in the same boat 
um, with the running back position. You know, Jared Stidham, I mean, by SEC standards, he is a wonderkind. Um, but even nationally, he is one of the better quarterbacks in America. And, I mean, as we've said, he'll have his work cut out for him going up against Washington's secondary, which is going to be one of the best in the country. But ultimately, whoever wins that battle might end up winning the game. And on the flip side, like you said, Jake Browning took a bit of a dip last year. Auburn's not exactly going to ease him into this season. You know, a lot of these top 15, top 10 teams are going to be playing like a Sam Houston State then where they can throw four touchdowns by halftime and then just kind of chill. He's going to be thrown right into the fire right away, and I think whichever quarterback kind of adapts to that better and shakes off the initial whatever rustiness there is, is going to win this game. Very tough, uh, because I think each individual unit matchup is extremely intriguing. Um, right. But I like, I like Washington by a nose. All right, we're up in the year with the disagreement. This is weird. It's something. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be low scoring. I think it's going to be very close. I've got Auburn like 20 to 13. And so I haven't even looked at these spread or any spreads yet for yeah. the weekend. So. It's too early. I'm still recovering from last <laughs> week. Yeah, I have stained, but I'll, I'll get back into it this week. All right, uh, so we have actual college game day is going to be after starting the year in Bloomington, um, first Thursday of the year. Last year, people forget. Um, They'll be at a a different, smaller school in Indiana you might have heard of. Notre Dame going to be hosting Michigan. Um, Get this rivalry back underway. Michigan's defense we talked about during the Big Ten preview, probably the best in that conference, one of the best in the country, Notre Dame. Lost a lot on offense to the draft. Two top ten linemen, Josh Brown, Equinemius St. Brown. Brandon Wimbush, still question marks there um, as a passer going up against a tough defense week one. What are you seeing from this matchup? I don't believe that Michigan can score. Until I see Michigan score, then I'll believe they can win the game. But Shea Patterson is a relative unknown. We know what he can do at Ole Miss, but we don't really know how Jim Harbaugh is going to use him in Michigan's offense. It's This is also, I think, going to be a low-scoring game. Think Notre Dame-Georgia last year, one, two, three-point game, something very close like that. But it's it really comes down to if Notre Dame can get production from their quarterback, whether it be Ian Book or Brandon Wimbush, the defense should still be good for Notre Dame. They might take a small step back without Mike Elko, but I I'm going with the Irish home field. Uh, you know, week one, more, I mean, slightly more proven quarterback, I guess I should say, um, or at least more options at quarterback. If you know, all hell breaks loose and Wimbush is just terrible in the first couple drives, but I. Michigan's offense over the past couple seasons have made me really gun shy to pick them. Yeah, I have a I have a capital T take. I think honestly, Michigan kind of dulls their quarterbacks down significantly, and some of that might be the the talent that has occupied the position the last several years. But even so, you put a guy like 
John O'Corn into a more open, fun, college-style offense at Houston, he puts up numbers. If Wilton Spate sees the field at UCLA this year in mm-hmm. Chip Kelly's offense, he's going to put up numbers. You put him in a, a plotting, more um, pro-style offense at Michigan, they're not really going to get too many opportunities to show what they can do. And that's fine from the perspective of getting these guys ready um, for the NFL, trying to hone in on those skills, make them more pro-ready. But ultimately, that kind of costs you the opportunity to win more football games. So it'll be interesting to see what it looks like with Shea Patterson under center because I think he's inarguably more talented than you know any of those guys the Michigan's right. trotted out there. But whether they're able to fully take advantage of that and not be just so – as Jim Harbaugh likes to be so run heavy of an offense. Um, we'll have to see on that. And then Notre Dame, they have to, I mean, establish the run with Brandon Wimbush. Like the, the easiest way to beat Notre Dame this year, unless he is improving by leaps and bounds that we just haven't seen yet, is force Brandon Wimbush to be one-dimensional and beat you as yep. a passer. Um, that hasn't changed since last year. And, I think the thing that could force Brian Kelly to go to Ian Book is if teams successfully do that. But, I mean, against Michigan, again, it's like like we were saying with Jake Browning and Jared Sidham, this is a rough first game of the season to do that and going up against probably the best defense they're going to see all year. Um, but they're going to have to find a way without their two-star offensive linemen, without Josh Adams to help in that department. Um, they're a little thin at running back, honestly, um, mm-hmm. for this game. But, yeah, that's that's really what it's going to come down to. I don't see either team winning this by uh, probably more than uh, six or seven points. I, I agree with you. I do think it's going to be very low scoring. Yeah, and, and I think you bring up a really good point about Michigan's offense dulling down quarterbacks. It's almost – it's kind of like Wisconsin, but Wisconsin does it because they just have so much talent at running back. Michigan does it because it's the style of offense Harbaugh wants them to play. It puts the quarterbacks in a position where you have to make a play anytime you're passing the ball. And when you don't, it magnifies the issues or perceived issues because you're only throwing the ball on third and – five plus third and long situations and you don't complete a pass or you don't pick up the first down. It's like, Oh, well this guy can't even throw for a first down. What are we doing here? Yeah. I, I feel like it was almost kind of something that he would have to run into place like Stanford out of necessity, because it's a lot harder to get those dynamic skill position guys that you can use to kind of open the field. If you're loading up on uh, guys in the trenches and that's kind of, where you're building from, then you're going to build your offense around that too. But I mean, now you're in Michigan, you shouldn't have such concerns, but I mean, it's a, it's a larger debate than just with Michigan. Um, purist versus fun basically, but mm-hmm. it's Virginia basketball. That's <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, but that's, just yeah, don't tell I, but, me. but nobody is, but nobody's put Michigan at the, the top of the college football world. Right. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that. I, I have to go with my my heart rather than my head and say Notre Dame. Um, I think on paper, Michigan probably has a slight advantage, but I think ultimately playing at home and that my extra three points or so that provides will, will be enough for Notre Dame to win. 
Yeah, as I was taking notes before this show, I was looking through the teams and I'm writing down like issues I see or like key matchups, whatever it may be. For Michigan, I really just wrote Shea Patterson. For Notre Dame, I have who's playing running back? Who's going to be the quarterback? What does the defense look like? What is the O-line? I'm like, how the hell did I pick Notre Dame in this game? Well, they run out of football, Tim. Yeah. You will have to see. <laughs> um, so we've got the other big non-conference game, uh, week one, also neutral site, LSU-Miami. LSU picking a quarterback now. Um, uh, Joe Burrow, rather, the Ohio State transfer, winning the job over Miles Brennan. We already talked about this last week. <laughs> Doesn't really change any sort of perception with with LSU. It um, moves the needle zero. This, however, would be a great opportunity to change that. Um, you know, putting up some numbers against a team like Miami. Ultimately, it's a, it's a bit of confirmation bias on my part where I'm kind of expecting the numbers to be a little shitty and then I'll point at that and be like, yeah, I told you so. That won't make it any less true, I think. But yes, does, does LSU, does Joe Burrow in this offense have a good shot against the, uh, the turnover chain, the hurricane defense? I think so, because I just don't believe in Miami's offense at all. I think their defense is top five, maybe, in the country. Probably top ten is a, a more accurate statement. But they're very good as the chain you know, announces. They, they do force turnovers like crazy. And, I mean, this is probably the best team they're going to go up against in order to force turnovers, because all you have to do is perceive it's perceived that all you have to do is make Joe Burrow throw the ball and you've got the ball back a couple times but I actually ended up picking LSU because I I feel like it's a prove it game for Coach O in like a, a win or die kind of situation where it sets the tone for the entire year if you can knock off top 10 Miami at a neutral site all of a sudden you've got a little new life and it's it's kind of how O has run his entire career um their defense is very good as well. LSU always has one of the top defensive units. They've always got great running backs. They seemingly find one or two skill receivers to trot out there with no quarterback. And then, you know, it, if Joe Burrow can throw any sort of positive yardage in the pass game, I think this can turn into a double-digit win for LSU. It's just unbelievable and depressing just to latch on to that last part, like how good LSU receivers, like you can finally see them mm -hmm. really do their thing when they go pro. Um, but yeah, that's same old story. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not really blown away by either of these teams. Again, seen them play a grand total of zero games. So a good amount of this is based off last year. I will say though, on Miami, I agree with, with you to an extent. This is a team that seems decently primed for regression just because if you're asking your defense to win a lot of games, I mean, think of Florida, any of the, any of the, yeah, any of the good to decent Bears teams from our yeah. youth. <laughs> uh, when you, when, when that is kind of the defense's res responsibilities to, kind of generate some points, generate some offense, because your offense is that subpar that really wears on them, um, not just 
physically with how much time they have to spend on the field, but just that emotional burden is actually a lot too. That being said, I, I still like them to win this game. I think I'll give Joe Burrow the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he'll be a good quarterback. Maybe he'll be great because LSU has such low standards, but I don't know if it's all going to come together in the very first game um, with his new team. No Darius Geis back there. The the heir apparent still very much has to assert himself in that backfield, and that might take a few weeks. I don't think that'll be an instantaneous week one thing. Both defenses will be great. I just think Miami's offense has proven itself a little more, um, so I think they're going to win this game. In a bowl game, might be completely different, but they have the advantage of this being the first game of the year. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting matchup. It's kind of two underwhelming teams on paper, and then you know as the season goes on. But I, you know, who knows? One of these two teams can uh, can really surprise us, maybe. And you know, maybe as long as Joe Burrow is better than Danny Etling, I think LSU fans will be okay. Yeah, I mean, and he almost definitely will be. Yeah, I would say. Um, but quick disclaimer: underwhelming as far as. As much as top in terms of expectations, because yeah. there, there's such high expectations. I guess I, yeah. I should have clarified that. Yeah, because Miami obviously played really well last year. LSU has consistently been a nine ten win team. Exactly. Um, we actually have a big um, season opener for the ACC cross divisional game. Virginia Tech, year two of Josh Jackson, Florida State trying to piece itself back together under Willie Taggart. A lot of the same themes from our ACC preview, um, but who are you liking the, the big statement win week one? I've got to go with Vatek, my guys. I picked them to play and lose to Clemson in the ACC title game. I think they're going to beat Florida State. I think they've got a good defense. Florida State, this is the thing. I'm finally picking against all the question marks. I'm like with them in two of the last games, but Florida State's got so many question marks on defense. They've got so many question marks with DeAndre Francois. How is he going to come back? How mobile will he be? What will he be a shell of himself? Will he be able to stick in the pocket? You know, all sorts of questions about just how much trust does he have in that leg? And, you know, going up against a pretty good Virginia Tech defense. And, and, you know, it's a whole new system. Everything is brand new for this team. Florida State's, you know, had the summer to work on it, but yeah, how far have they come? And, you know, will Willie Taggart year one be, you know, more successful than Oregon? Yeah. Um, I like Fatak too. And Taggart's task year one is really a double edged sword because the team was so bad last year that it wouldn't take a lot to improve so to speak mm -hmm. year over year but the team was so bad last year the fan base is going to be extremely vocal and hungry for you to turn that around right away and mm -hmm. you know start turning out results that are more typical of quote-unquote seminal nation and kind of what they expect so this is a huge game for him um he's another guy who could have benefited from you know, going up against Liberty or something week one. But I I really like Josh Jackson. I really like Justin Fuente. So, yep. He did 
a phenomenal job uh, making Memphis more than just a kicker school. And shout out actually, yeah, shout out Stephen Gaskowski. Yeah. But yeah, making uh, Paxton Lynch a first round NFL pick. Unreal job. What a, <laughs> what a, what a finesse. Um, but he's, he's a great uh, successor to Beamer over there. And I don't know. A couple, a couple of years ago, this would have been Beamer Bowden more than a couple of years ago, I guess. But now these are kind of one of the big name coaches in the ACC. And I mean, what Fuente has been able to do at Virginia Tech in his short time there has been extremely impressive. And I mean, I don't doubt Willie Tiger can get there. But again, I think this will be like an LSC situation. Maybe not has finished a product as we're going to want to see week one, especially at the quarterback position um, that we talked about. Francois getting hurt obviously killed all momentum last year. Then Blackman was not able to do much of anything at all. And now it kind of feels like they're starting from square one there. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not overly optimistic in this one for them. Yeah. I, I liked your point about the double-edged sword because I think this game specifically magnifies it because if they lose or get blown out, I guess I, I'll clarify and say if they get blown out, it's like, oh, well, how far off are we if we can't even you know hang in a game with Virginia Tech, who I'm sure Florida State looks down upon. It's like, how well, then, then you know how are we supposed to compete in the ACC? But if they win, it feels almost like a Kevin Sumlin situation where all of a sudden it's like, national title aspirations after one game it's like okay pump the brakes a little bit because there's you know there's no in between there's no middle ground for willie taggart to sit in yeah 100 percent. i think it's a big time potential for an overreaction game either way like very much could be a a texas is back situation yes um, even notre dame week one i feel like there could be some out there that uh, that have that reaction to Florida State just comes out and, and Molly whoops them or something, or even wins just a good game. But yeah, I like I like Virginia Tech. Only a green on two out of four. That's not that's not terrible. We're changing. People can grow and change. <laughs> um, Year three is different. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll have some more diverse picks until. Yeah, I don't know. Until we'll see. Have to, it comes back together. <laughs> you'll have to keep listening to, to find out if and when that ever happens. But um, quickly, I guess, before we go, season hasn't started yet. Any uh, any Heisman pick? Will Greer. That's my guy. Okay, I'm still, I'm still sticking with Bryce Love. Um, I think he's the best college football player, Bryce Love, but I think Will Greer, yeah. I think this week specifically, Will Greer is going to put up some video game numbers and people are going to, it's going to turn heads almost like uh, Geno Smith. Yeah, I mean, for for running backs, for anyone who's not a quarterback, it almost seems like you have to work twice as hard to get the mm-hmm. same number of, of headlines spotlight. That comes off bitter. I was never a running back at any point in my athletic <laughs> career. I want to point that out there, but uh, that's that's the truth. I would love to see Bryce Love uh, take home the Heisman. I think he's a, a very fun guy to watch, very likable guy, but mm-hmm. 
there's always names we have right now at the beginning of the season. There will inevitably be guys who come out of nowhere unexpectedly, think Lamar Jackson two years ago, and yep. just take over. And I am extremely excited for that and everything else that college football has to offer. It's going to be a great season. I'm giddy. I'm giddy. I can't stop smiling. I'm, I'm very excited for this weekend. So there you have it. We will uh, we'll be back with you next week. Uh, make sure you check out with the, the spread option. Yeah. Cool yeah, we're underway. With uh, B. Frank and Nick Phillips, you got all of your, uh, your picks for you. Um, I don't know much else about it at this point, but that's it. We're, we're telling stories about gambling and, you know, wins and losses and things like that. And, you know, making some picks in between keeping track. You can, you know, check it out. It's on iTunes now, subscribe, spread option. That's it. That, that's, that's, that's the show. Much more eloquently said. Um, yeah. Another, another addition to the, let me be Frank family podcast. We will be back here on the B Fox and B Frank show after this week. Talking week one, some massive overreactions, I'm sure, and then keep on looking forward to week two. Well, we're coming to your city. Well, we flew through Oklahoma, Alabama, and through Georgia, trying to get on down to Florida for the game. And then we loaded up our tailgate, joined the convoy on the freeway, headed north to see them. Come out to your city And if you wanna